Settle back. Get a good grip on your nerves. Where are we going? You'll find out when we get there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Drama and Theater. Brought to you by Dwayne Old Time Radio. Drama and Theater features some of the best programs from the golden age of radio, including Escape, The Fat Man, Suspense, The Whistler, Zero Hour, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, and many, many more. Before we start today's drama, if you enjoy what I'm doing, let me ask you to subscribe to my channel. Subscribing is 100% free, and you will receive notifications on new posts. Lastly, if you have a moment, Write a short one or two sentence review or give a rating on your preferred podcast service. A positive review or rating would help me out a lot. And now, on to the drama. And thank you for your support, as always. We're going to end the month, even though we have two more posts for the month. I'm going to do something a little different this month. Instead of uh, dragging out storylines from month to month, we're going to try to wrap these up in two weeks. This is The Zero Hour. We haven't heard from The Zero Hour in a few months by Rod Serling, hosted by Rod Serling. This storyline is A Die in the Country. This week we're going to hear Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 from A Die in the Country. It's hard to find um, consistent dates for The Zero Hour, but The Zero Hour aired from 1973 to 1974. Serling, you're listening to the Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Tobias Wells' neo-Gothic tale of small-town terror. A die in the country. Starring Peter Marshall. Susan Strasberg. And Andrew Duggan. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by the makers of Big Red Chewing Tobacco and State Farm Insurance. 
This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. We all know that city living has become increasingly troublesome. Our cities are crowded, high-pitched, and in many instances, dangerous. No one knows that better than the cop. This week, a story of a handsome young couple in search of rural peace and quiet. Newt Severson, Detective First Grade, Boston Police. Married one year. Wife, Brenda, seven months pregnant. They've heard so much about the beauty of life in the quaint New England countryside... The picturesque three-story Victorian house in the placid little college town of Wellesley seems the answer to their dream until they meet their neighbors, until they hear the town gossip and find themselves in the middle of a nightmare. Their story, A Die in the Country, begins after this word. VISTA means Volunteers in Service to America. I started out as a business major in college. I graduated as a business major. Uh... I got into VISTA because I wanted to really do something. I chose this as my line, and when I'm getting into it, it changed my whole life. I went through cultural shock. I found out what types of people really need to help, what's really happening in our country in, in the back areas. There is so much to be done. I could say that if a person anywhere has an interest in doing something, there are programs for them. VISTA is one viable means, but there's, there's so many ways of really getting involved with people. VISTA gave me my first start to work with the problems happening in this country and to really get down to earth and work with the people that need it. Volunteer for VISTA. VISTA is one part of action. Action is doing something. There is something you can do. Picture this, a small New England town, green rolling hills, tidy houses along quiet tree-lined streets, respectable facades covering what manner of guilty secrets. A Cadillac glides solemnly around the corner, purrs to a stop in front of an empty three-story Victorian house with silent shuttered windows. Just as I described it. It's kind of odd-looking, isn't it? I mean, it seems off-balance. It's so tall and narrow with that high-peaked roof. Three stories, Victorian architecture. It's most picturesque, but thoroughly modernized. The most up-to-date plumbing and wiring throughout. And as you can see, freshly painted, and the new porch was just finished. Come along. I'll show you everything. Brenda was right. The house looked odd. Like the kind of house a child might draw. An oblong box set on end with a pointed roof on top. There was a big window in the front with small panes. And a cement and cinder block porch around two sides with a wrought iron railing. The shutters were dark green and there was a post lantern at the end of the driveway. A pair of coach lanterns flanking the front door. A spacious yard and lots of trees and shrubbery. Mine here, our cat would find it a whole new lease on life after his cloister days in a Boston apartment. It's a great deal of house and ground for the money. I agree. What's wrong with it? 
As I said, the owner had a sudden transfer out of town and must sacrifice. The reduced price bears no reflection on the condition of the property. It's really quite rustic. Oh, yes. Why, you even have a little patch of real woods on one side. Mm, this yard would be the devil to mow. It's nice and private. You can barely see the house next door through all that shrubbery. That place looks a little neglected. What kind of neighbors come with the house? Oh, that's Mercy Bird's place. Mercy Bird? She's a writer. Mystery stories. Really? Yes. Lives alone there since her mother died and keeps pretty much to herself. She'll not be any bother to you, I'm sure. Sounds like fun living next door to a mystery writer. And you have a very distinguished neighbor across the street. Rudolph Wharton lives there. Sorry, but... Who's Rudolph Wharton? <laughs> oh, of course. You wouldn't know being from out of town. He's one of our select men. And I imagine he owns nearly half of Wellesley's most valuable real estate. I stand impressed. <laughs> Come along. I'll show you inside the house. Uh, truthfully, Mr. Severson, there aren't too many houses in Wellesley in your price range. <laughs> I was ready to say we'd try someplace else in that case. I could feel my hackles rising. You see, I have very sensitive hackles. But Brenda tugged at my sleeve as Mrs. Maynard turned the key in the lock and opened the door. A creaking door, just the right Victorian touch. Uh, our spring rain. A little oil will take care of that. As Mrs. Maynard led us around like sheep to the slaughter... Brenda exclaimed over all the pluses while I ticked off all the minuses. A winding staircase. Oh, it's just what I've always wanted. The woodwork needs repainting. Three big bedrooms. Imagine. Two of them are going to have to be repapered. And a bathroom off each one. There isn't any John on the first floor. But as we followed in the wake of Mrs. Maynard's grand tour treading on bright blue wool all the way, we came together on the view from the third floor studio bedroom. It was strictly as advertised. You see, I wasn't exaggerating a bit, was I? Oh, it's just lovely. Yeah, the view's great. I have to admit that. <laughs> and the bathroom has just been retiled. It's well heated. I just love it, honey. What do you think? Well, it needs a lot of work. I mean, I don't know when I'd have the time. Maybe we'd better keep looking. One week later, we signed the purchase and sales agreement. And one month later, we moved in. When you're in love with your wife and she's seven months pregnant, if she asks for the moon, you'll see what you could do. Don't worry, darling. We'll take our time. And it'll be fun making it really ours. Mine hair seems to have made it his with no problem. The second I let him out, he streaked off into the woods. Oh, this is going to be a beautiful place for the baby. All this grass and trees and lovely peace and quiet. It's downright bucolic. Well, Newt, you do like it, too, don't you? Honey, it's going to be just what the doctor ordered for a tired city detective after slaving all day over a hot murder. Here you can leave murder to our next-door neighbor. What? Oh, Mercy Bird, the mystery writer. I wonder what she's like. So far, we've yet to get a look at any of our neighbors. They're being thoughtful, I imagine, giving us time to get settled. I still don't think it was too wise taking on a big move like this just before the babies do. Oh, it's just the thing. It'll keep me busy. No time to mope. Mope? About what? 
About looking like an old sack of lumpy potatoes, that's what. Oh. Hey, honey, let's let all these boxes go hang for the rest of the night. What do you say we try out our new fireplace? Take a little of the evening chill out of our new house. Right now, I feel like cuddling up in front of a cozy fire with an old sack of lumpy potatoes in my lap. Mm, you've been reading up on the care and handling of lumpy pregnant wives. What was that? What was what? I heard something at the door. I think someone's out there. Oh, for Pete's sake, it's probably just the cat. I forgot he was out. Relax, darling. I'll, I'll let him in. I thought so. Come on in, mine here. Hey, wait a minute. What have you got there? Hey, what's, what's he got in his mouth? Oh, nude, it's a squirrel. You mean what's left of a squirrel? Well, I guess we'll have to expect things like that. I mean, living out in the country. Oh, nude, get it away. I think I'm going to be sick. Here's your favorite country music group, the Osmond Brothers, singing for your favorite chew in tobacco. Big Red, how sweet it is. Working on the big machines, building that road. How sweet it is with Big Red. Running down the highway, hauling that load. How sweet it is with Big Red. Cane poles, fishing holes, boys are shagging flies. Turn to our story in a moment. Don't you know that only you can do it? Make it happen. Don't you know that only you can do it? We've made such a wonderful start at controlling the ills of the heart. But we've got to finish the things we begin. And that's where you come in. Supporting the work of your heart association, that's where you come in. We haven't conquered heart disease yet. It's still the country's number one killer, but we are making progress. It takes time. It takes money. The researchers and doctors are putting in the time. The money? That must come from you. After all, don't you know that only you can do it? Make it happen. Only you can help to see us through it. So won't you be? I found it took me longer to commute from Boston to Wellesley than I'd figured. I'd landed smack in the middle of outgoing commuter traffic at 6 p.m., and while the pike moved well, the arteries on and off it were going slow. By the time I finally got home, I was on the irritated side. And finding a strange car parked in the middle of the driveway blocking my way did not improve my disposition. What the devil? No, we're in the kitchen. Who 
was we, I wondered. At the moment, I wasn't in the mood for anybody. I made my way through the boxes of books and bric-a-brac in the living room into the kitchen where Brenda and a middle-aged woman with bleached blonde hair sat over coffee in the middle of boxes of pots and pans and dishes. Darling, this is Mrs. Parsons. You will have to forgive my coming before you've had a chance to settle, Mr. Severinson. But it's rather my job. I'm the official town greeter. Mrs. Parsons has brought us all kinds of lovely little gifts. Goodies from all our local shops. It's our way of welcoming you to our little community. I'm sure you're going to find it a lovely place to live. Thank you. I think we'll enjoy it fine if we ever get some of this confusion cleared away. Well, this is a beautiful old house. And like most old houses in New England do, it has its share of history. Really? Well, you know, of course, that Catherine Lee Bates once lived here. Catherine Lee Bates? She wrote America the Beautiful. Oh, no, isn't that exciting? And Monsignor Davis actually died in one of the bedrooms upstairs. Died? Oh, don't worry. It was a perfectly natural cause as he was 88. Well, that explains it. But then I imagine you're far more interested in hearing about the living people of Wellesley, particularly your immediate neighbors. I imagine we'll be meeting them in time. Uh, the Farleys, at least. In the house caddy corner across the street. They're quite congenial. But their children are something of a problem. Teenagers. Boys, a college dropout, shiftless, long hair and a beard. And their girl is only in high school and already runs around with a very fast crowd. Heading for trouble, both of them, I'm afraid. Well, let's hope not. Your other two neighbors are inclined to keep their distance. Mercy Bird next door is a rider. I don't think a soul in town has ever been inside her house. And I'm sure you've heard of Mr. Wharton across the street. Yes, we have. He keeps quite to himself since his wife disappeared. Disappeared? Well, I don't mean in that sense exactly. Still, she did leave very suddenly, and no one seems to know where she went. Mrs. Parsons, are you implying that we have a town mystery on our hands? Perhaps a body buried in the cellar? Oh, good heavens, no, nothing like that. Why, Rudolph Wharton is Wellesley's most prominent citizen. Uh, my husband didn't mean that seriously, Mrs. Parsons. Oh, of course. You are a detective in the city, aren't you, Mr. Severson? I suppose detectives have their little jokes like all of us. I suppose so, Mrs. Parsons, but right now I'm afraid I'm just a tired city detective, so if you'll excuse me, I... Oh, as a matter of fact, I must be running along. I'm afraid I sometimes overextend these little welcoming calls of mine. Oh, not at all. It's been just lovely meeting you. I'll see you to your car. Mine's in your way. I was sure Mrs. Parsons had elected herself Wellesley's official greeter. It was the ideal job for the town gossip. Now, don't be too hard on her. It was nice to have someone to talk to. She didn't really say anything harmful. She wasn't catty. Uh, speaking of cats, have you seen ours? He made a beeline for the woods again. I just hope he doesn't bring home any more surprises. Honey, cats are hunters. It's their nature. Now, mine hair just never had a chance to do his thing before. He's always been such a gentle house cat. I never thought of him as a predatory animal. Well, he is. He just can't help it, that's all. Yes, he can. That's like saying that killers have to kill. They're two different things entirely. That's mine hair. It sounds like he's in trouble. Maybe this time he got hold of something too big for him. Now, you close your eyes until I see what it is. Whatever it is, don't let him bring it in. Well, hello there. It's all right, honey. It's only a dog. 
I think. I'm afraid my Algernon scared off your cat. He didn't mean to. Algernon loves cats. He's very affectionate, but he just doesn't realize how big he is. And I imagine our cat will learn to stay out of his way. I just wanted you to know that Algernon won't hurt him in any event. Algy wouldn't hurt a fly. I'm afraid that's more than can be said for our cat. I'm Newt Severson, and this is my wife, Brenda. Oh, delighted. I'm Mercy Bird, your next-door neighbor. Oh, we're very happy to meet you. Uh, you're a detective, I hear. You're a mystery writer, I understand. One thing sure about this town, it's a grapevine. I may have some questions to ask you sometime, Mr. Severson. Uh, do you mind? Questions? Research for my stories. Oh, sure, if it's something I know. Well, it's going to come in handy having a detective right next door. Look, isn't that another of our neighbors, Mr. Wharton, the select man? That's him, all right. A great find slipped up this time. Distinguished isn't the word. Handsome would be better. Well, he's a looker, all right. I'll give you that. You sound as though you don't like Mr. Wharton very much, Miss Bird. Don't call me mercy. I never stand on ceremony. And as for Mr. Wharton, you're right. I don't like the man very much, not at all, in fact. Now, come on. Algernon, come on. Let's finish our walk. Let our neighbor's cat get home in peace. <laughs> come by again, won't you? Oh, I will. Algernon insists on his walks. Ta-ta. Uh, goodbye, Miss Bird. Uh, uh, mercy. <laughs> Quite a character. Oh, I like her. So do I. But I wonder why she doesn't like the handsome, distinguished Mr. Wharton. When my first two days off came up, I had already managed to deal with most of the boxes. Confusion was gradually changing into order, and Brenda was busy at the sewing machine making new curtains for the big picture window. So I decided on a few hours busman's holiday and went downtown to look in on Wellesley's police station. There was an officer there named Dennehy that I once worked a case with. Great to see you again, Severson. What brings you out to Wellesley? Official business? No, no, we moved here, my wife and I. Ah. An old remodeled house on House Street. Ah, yes, I think I know the one. It's right across the street from... Uh, uh, Ralph Wharton, right. Right, right. He's really Mr. Big in this town, isn't he? Oh, he owns half of it. A block of stores, a medical building, a rest home, you name it. Say, you know, it may turn out to be a handy thing for us. You're living right across the street from Wharton. How's that? You can keep your eyes open. Somebody's got a big hate on for that guy. He's been getting a series of poison pen letters ever since his wife left him last January. Hate mail? Uh-huh. I heard Mrs. Wharton just disappeared. Nobody knows where she is. Ah, uh, the rumor factory. The truth is she went to California to live with her sister. We have a letter from her confirming this. Confirming it? Why was that necessary? Those letters Wharton's been getting. Wait a minute. I'll show you a photostat of one of them. You see? They're always pasted up words, cut from newspapers and postmarked from the next town over. Natick. Here, you want to read it? You may think you can get away with your wife's murder, Rudolph Wharton, but you can't. I won't let you. Signed, The Great Eye. <laughs> the Great Eye? Sounds like somebody's playing a joke. You're new to Wellesley, my friend. Nobody, but I mean nobody, plays a joke on Rudolph Wharton. I want them to know that I'm their family insurance man. I want them to know that I can take care of any insurance need that they have. Agent Bud Honorio of Tucson, Arizona, talks about saving on car insurance with State Farm Mutual. And I want them to know that 
them to know that, that hopefully I would be available for them to call me and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying a 1970 automobile. Can you give me an idea what it's going to cost me? And at that time, I can say to this young man, yeah, it's going to cost you X number of dollars, but you know, that's a high-performance automobile, and you're paying a high premium to start with because you're under 25 and single and so on. Uh, why don't you think about something that's not high-performance? I'm not only giving him maybe confidence in me or instilling more confidence in him, but I may be going to save this guy a buck, and he knows that I'm not just after his dollars. I'm actually there to, to try to help. Like a good Zero Hour continues after this. Even if someone served them a slice of beef, they couldn't bite into it. Their teeth are too weak. I'm not talking about some people of in Africa or Asia. I'm talking about Americans. American children. It's tragic how many thousands of them are in this country whose teeth will literally rot in their mouths because they'll never receive basic dental care. They may not even own a toothbrush. What hurts is that it takes so very little for any one of us to help them. The same dollar, for instance, that buys you two packs of cigarettes can buy three American children the first toothbrushes they've ever owned. I'm Cliff Robertson. Won't you give up some cigarettes so some American children can have their first toothbrush? Send your dollar to Americans for Children's Relief, Box 5050, Stamford, Connecticut. Box 5050, Stamford, Connecticut. One dollar. And, of course, if you can afford more, give more. So, Denny, he asked me to keep my trained professional eye on the Wharton House for any sign of a suspicious character hanging about. It seemed that somewhere in Wellesley, a nut was running loose. Why would anyone make an accusation that could be so easily disproved? It doesn't make any sense. Frank letters don't have to make sense. They're a nuisance, to say the least, and any nut who writes them may be capable of, of almost anything. Well, it's probably just someone who resents Rudolph Wharton's position and power. If he were receiving a lot of anonymous love letters, I could understand it. What about our friend Miss Bird? She apparently doesn't think of him as any paragon. But you don't think she'd be writing in poison pen letters, do you? Mm, it would seem more her style to just go over and tell him off. But a cop learns quickly enough not to rule out anything. Oh, dear. What's that for? We moved to this lovely, peaceful little town to get away. Now you're going to be a detective even when you get home. You're going to start looking at everyone with that suspicious cop nature of yours. No, honey. Well, it's true. Only when there's a reason. Oh, there's always a reason. If you start looking for one, people aren't perfect. You can't start putting them under a microscope without seeing things that you shouldn't see. I didn't know you felt this way about my work. Oh, Newt, I don't mind you being a detective. I'm proud of you. But please, just try to remember that this is where we live now. It's not a police precinct. It's our home. I know that, but I mean... Oh, these people are our friends and neighbors, not suspects. All right. All right, honey. I'll remember that. Go ahead. Uh, whoever it is, you can let them in. I promise I won't turn a light in their face and demand that they confess all. Mercy. How nice. Come on in. Without Algernon this time. Thought I'd spare your cat. When's the baby? Two more months. Got a good doctor, I hope. Mm-hmm. A very good Boston gynecologist, uh -huh. Dr. Abrams. Never heard of him. 
But then I never had any use for a gynecologist. <laughs> uh, Miss Bird, I mean, Mercy, uh, what is it about Mr. Wharton that you, uh, that you don't like? Oh, Newt. There's nothing I do like about Mr. Wharton. Nothing at all. Why? Because he thinks he's God Almighty. That's why. Somehow, despite the obvious evidence of her disdain for Rudolph Wharton, and now the added fact that she visited the next town of Natick regularly, I couldn't settle on Mercy Bird as the perpetrator of the poisoned pen letters. My cop's suspicious nature notwithstanding. Mercy Bird was a character, I thought, but not a nut. There was a big difference. There was something about the atmosphere in Wellesley, however, that made me glad to get back to the routine of my police job in Boston at the end of my two-day holiday. Captain Granger made sure my relief didn't last that long. Three, continue patrol. See the woman of family. 2337 McKinley. Uh, how's the new place out in Wellesley, dude? Oh, fine, Captain. Fine. We're getting slowly but surely straightened out out there. I just had a call from Chief Torrance out there. Hmm? About that poison pen letter business? Poison pen letter? Wellesley has that going on, too? Why? What else is up? Obscene telephone calls? A whole epidemic of them. What? Yeah. That's some quiet little town you picked out for yourself, Severson. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. Sir, we're asking people what they know about various organizations. Oh, you couldn't have asked a better person. I'm a member of eight clubs, three associations, four societies, a fraternal order, and a permanent floating crap game. Well, then you could probably answer this. What's the Amalgamated Society for the Betterment of Society? Oh, the ASBS. Never heard of them. But I guess it's an amalgamation of societies who've merged to help make society a better place to socialize in for everyone's betterment and so forth. <laughs> exactly right, sir. It was? Now, what's the ACS. Easy, the American Cancer Society. And what does it do? Well, they're involved in cancer research. Sure, what else? Public education. Like they convinced me to give up smoking and taught me the warning signals of cancer. That and lots more. And how do they do all this? Through contributions. And what a spot to remind the public to send a generous check to their American Cancer Society. We want to wipe out cancer in your lifetime. Sir, you've been a great sport. Oh, thanks. And could I interest you in joining the society for the prevention of double parking? I'll join that. Uh, here's you whistle on your badge, and I would like to make a citizen's arrest. Here's a tip from your Better Business Bureau. With more and more people eating poultry these days, it might be a good idea to review some basic facts on how to buy and serve poultry. First of all, remember to look for the grade shield. The highest quality is U.S. Grade A. Grade A birds are fully fleshed, meaty, and attractive in appearance. But when you bring it home, remember that all poultry is perishable. Care and cleanliness should be used in the preparation, cooking, and serving of all poultry products. Keep frozen poultry hard frozen until time to thaw, and cook it promptly after thawing. Use fresh chilled poultry within one to two days. Completely cook poultry at one time. Never partially cook, then store, and finish cooking at a later date. Leftover cooked poultry, broth, stuffing, and gravy should be separated, covered, and refrigerated. Then you'd better use it within one or two days. A consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense. A die in the country. I'm Rod Serling, and this is 
the Zero Hour. This episode brought to you in part by Big Red and State Farm. This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater, heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow. And once again, rest your eyes and listen here to The Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Tobias Wells' neo-Gothic tale of small-town terror. A die in the country. Starring Peter Marshall. Susan Strasberg. Andrew Duggan. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Zero Hour. Sponsored in part by Waker State Motor Oil and Beechnut Chewing Tobacco. This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. It's never easy to pick up and move to a new community. There's always a necessary period of adjustment. Young Boston detective Newt Severson and his wife Brenda are now in the process of adapting to their new surroundings... They've just moved to the quiet suburban town of Wellesley to await the birth of their first child. They've settled into a recently remodeled three-story Victorian house with a small patch of New England woods on one side and Miss Mercy Bird, mystery writer in the town recluse, on the other. Directly across the street lives Wellesley's most prominent citizen, town selectman Rudolph Wharton, subject of current gossip concerning the recent desertion of his wife, as Detective Severson soon learns, Wharton is being harassed by a series of anonymous poison pen letters accusing him of his wife's murder. Back at his desk at the Boston police station, Newt Severson finds that Precinct Captain Granger has a further crime report from Wellesley. Newt Severson is beginning to question the advisability of his move to the country, and he has yet to meet the rest of his neighbors. A die in the country will continue in a moment. VISTA means Volunteers in Service to America. I started out as a business major in college. I graduated as a business major. Uh, 
I got into Vista because I wanted to really do something. I chose this as my line, and when I'm getting into it, it changed my whole life. I went through cultural shock. I found out what types of people really need the help, what's really happening in our country in, in the back areas. There is so much to be done. But I could say that if a person anywhere has an interest in doing something, there are programs for them. VISTA is one viable means, but there's, there's so many ways of really getting involved with people. VISTA gave me my first start to work with the problems happening in this country and to really get down to earth and work with the people that need it. Volunteer for VISTA. VISTA is one part of action. Action is doing something. There is something you can do. threatening letters sent to Rudolph Wharton weren't enough. Now we had even more to worry about. Obscene phone calls, a whole rash of them. Seems that some kook got hold of a Wellesley phone book. The calls were occurring systematically to nearly every house in your town. Every house? And the caller seems to be working right through the book. Sometimes in the front of it, sometimes in the back. What ploy does he use? Well, he claims he's a doctor doing a survey. His research, he says, calls for answers to a number of questions. And he starts off nice enough. Pretty soon he's into the interviewee's sex life. Now, you know how it goes from there. Some of the ladies in your town are pretty upset. Mm, I can imagine. But why did Torrance call you? Uh, what's the Boston connection? Well, they've been tracing the calls when they could, but the caller has... He's been jumping all over the place. Once they thought they had him. Months ago, when the calls first started, a series of them were traced to one Wellesley number. Turned out to be a family on an extended vacation. And the nut, whoever he is, had made an entry through a cellar window. Never stole anything, he just used the phone. They stake out the place? Yeah, sure. But of course, by then, the guy had found himself another Michi. After that, he used pay booze mostly. Once, even the telephone in the high school principal's office. And you don't know how he managed that. <laughs> don't tell me he's operating all the way out of Boston. Well, the latest calls have been traced to, of all places... A phone booth at the aquarium here. This one sounds like a real weirdo. <laughs> Aren't they all? Torrance wants us to stake it out, and since you have a personal interest in the town, I thought you'd be the man to do it. Has he established any time pattern? Now, they call it their phones at night or on the weekend. Only those hours when most women are home alone. That figures. Any voice description? Mm, nobody seems to agree. So maybe there's more than one nut at work. Anyway, he could be young, he could be old. Any chance do you think that he might really, really be a doctor? Mm -hmm. There can be a twisted mind in any profession. You know as well as I do, anything's possible. Yeah. It's what my wife calls a cop's suspicious nature. She's already accused me of looking at everybody in Wellesley as a suspect. Hmm. Poison pen letters, obscene phone calls. Sounds to me you have reason to. So I waited out the day at the Boston Aquarium. But Wellesley's elusive sex nut continued to be the one that got away. At Captain Granger's suggestion, I stopped by on my way home to report to Police Chief Torrance of the Wellesley Force. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that you got sent on a wild goose chase ever since. Today, he called from a pay booth in Dedham. You got a quick trace on him? No, he's aware we're putting traces on him. This time, he simply announced to his victim where he was calling from. Then he told me he alerted you to the crank letters being received by Rudolph Wharton. Yeah, he asked me to keep an eye out since Wharton lives right across the street from us. All right, we'd appreciate that. There isn't any doubt about that letter you received from Mrs. Wharton confirming her whereabouts, is there? I mean, no suspicion of forgery or anything. Good God, man. Wharton is one of our selectmen, remember? 
Oh, all right. I'm a cop. I know better. So I placed a person a person call to her that I pay for myself. Didn't want it to show up on the department phone bills. Our selectmen have to approve all monthly vouchers. So you actually talked to her then? Well, she talked to me as more like it told me off for wasting my time tracking her down when I should be tracking down the people sending the letters. I'd like to have a copy of whatever record you have of the calls and also photostats of the Wharton letters. Oh, you can get both of those from the clerk on your way out. Hey, now, I guess I'd better be getting home to my wife. Well, let's hope our women don't get the idea that there's some kind of fiend loose in our streets. But in point of fact, there is. It's me, honey. In the living room, Duke. Come on in and meet Mrs. Farley. The Farley's in the house, catty corner across the street. I remembered Mrs. Parsons' rundown on them. Congenial couple with the two potential teenage delinquents. I walked in and saw a faded blonde in a red pantsuit sitting across the coffee table from Brenda. Gloria Farley, my husband, Newt. Pleased to meet you. I was just apologizing to your wife for not having come over sooner. I keep rather busy running a house with two children and holding down a job as well. I can understand that. I can't imagine it. Just the thought of a house with one baby and it scares me. In particular, I came to invite you and your wife to a party this Saturday evening. Our house. You'll meet my husband and a few friends. Oh, that sounds nice. It'll be our first evening out in Wellesley. Oh, then I'm glad I thought of it. Late but sincere, that's me. Thanks for asking us. It's just what we need, really. Good. It's nice to have new neighbors, especially compatible ones. After Gloria Farley had left while Brenda put the finishing touches on a meatloaf dinner, I was going to get busy on that homework I'd asked Chief Torrance for. But instead, it seemed mine hair was late for his dinner, and Brenda asked me to go make sure he wasn't out squirrel hunting again. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Come on, mine hair. Hey. Hey, where are you, cat? If you're looking for your cat, I think I may have him. Is this one yours? He is. <laughs> I didn't think he'd cross the street. My name's Severson. You're Mr. Wharton. Yes. <laughs> and it's my fault. I, I like cats, and he's a beautiful animal. I lured him over. He's not used to all this freedom. We've been apartment dwellers in Boston. Uh, you're a detective, I understand. That's right. Well, our crime here is of a of the minor variety as a rule, and not much of it at that. That suits me. I get enough of it on the job. Care to come in for a drink? Oh, thanks, but I think my dinner's on the table. I'll have to take a rain check, if I may. Of course. Wharton gave mine hair one final stroke and handed him to me. And as he did, I was struck by a curious resemblance. There was a look about their eyes that seemed the same, his and the cat's. I said goodnight and walked back across the street, running my hand thoughtfully across Meinherr's glossy fur. I found myself wondering which look it had been, that of our formerly docile house cat or the killer it had become. We're going to take a lot of trips this season to places that you may have seen before. Stores. 
school. Get out to the swimming pool. To the dentist, to the market, we will take our car and park it. We're still taking a lot of car trips these days, but these days, most of them are short trips. Unfortunately, short trips are tough on your car because it never gets the chance to really warm up enough to eliminate harmful deposits, things like rust, grit, and acid. They build up, and before you know it, they start doing lasting damage to your engine. Short trips call for the high-quality protection of Quaker State motor oil. Quaker State is refined from 100% pure Pennsylvania-grade crude oil, the world's choicest. Then it's fortified to protect your engine against deposits and keep your car running young. Now that you're taking more short trips than ever, it's nice to know you can find Quaker State more places than ever. Quaker State, your car, you keep it running young. We'll return to our story in a moment. Even if someone served them a slice of beef, they couldn't bite into it. Their teeth are too weak. I'm not talking about some people over in Africa or Asia. I'm talking about Americans, American children. It's tragic how many thousands of them are in this country whose teeth will literally rot in their mouths because they'll never receive basic dental care. They may not even own a toothbrush. What hurts is that it takes so very little for any one of us to help them. The same dollar, for instance, that buys you two packs of cigarettes can buy three American children the first toothbrushes they've ever owned. I'm Cliff Robertson. Won't you give up some cigarettes so some American children can have their first toothbrush? Send your dollar to Americans for Children's Relief, Box 5050, Stamford, Connecticut. Box 5050, Stamford, Connecticut. One dollar. And, of course, if you can afford more, give more. Chief Torrance was right about the obscene phone call list. It was hard to find a handle. I charted the calls on a calendar and didn't come up with anything beyond my own frustration. I thought I had a thread, four calls on consecutive Mondays from a pay booth outside the Wellesley Railroad Station between the hours of 8.30 and 9.30. Could be a commuter. But then the Pables number dropped from the list and was never used again. Sometimes he called four or five days in a row, and another time a week went by without a complaint. Of course, maybe that was only a time when those women he called hadn't bothered to report it. That was too often our problem. On the one hand, there were the cranks who bothered us about nothing, and on the other, there were always those who came up against real crime and kept it a big, dark secret, even from the police. By the time Saturday night came, I was ready for that party at the Farley's and curious about who was going to be there. Hello, Jefferson. Come in and name your poison. Gloria Farley beckoned us into the high-ceiling living room and gestured us toward the bar set up on top of a baby grand piano. Obviously, the Farley's were more drinkers than music lovers. And, as it turned out, drama buffs. All of the people invited were members of the local little theater group. A kind of unisex couple appropriately named Chris and Christine. A second couple, the Kletz, Harvey and Angel. And Dolly Celine, a buxom redhead who instantly established her status as a widow in a plainly seductive tone of voice. Then we briefly met the Farley children, Delilah and Greg. I say briefly because they were both obviously eager to get out of the house. Perfectly normal for two teenagers when their parents are throwing a party. However, Gloria Farley was perturbed with them for rushing off in front of company. Delilah, I want you home at a decent hour, do you hear? And Greg, don't be in such a hurry. Please drive slowly. Do you have your house keys? 
don't want to stay home anymore. Oh, here's Arlen, my husband. There was a sudden whir of a motor, and we followed Gloria Farley's gaze to the top of the stairs. At that moment, a chair device came gliding down the staircase bearing Arlen Farley, a big-chested man with a full head of wavy white hair and a wide smile that revealed a mouthful of sparkling white teeth. At the foot of the stairs, he rose from the chair and walked toward us. I had a coronary last year, and the doctor recommended this chariot. It's kind of fun. And it makes a great entrance. Very impressive. These are our new neighbors, Arlen. Brenda and Newt Severson. I'll fix your ginger ale. Ah, thanks, honey. Yeah, to get off the hard stuff. Cigarettes, too. The penalty for a misspent youth. Uh, Gloria tells me you're a cop. Detective. Boston Police. What's your business? A prosthetic. Small feet. If you ever need a pair of choppers, I'm your man. For goodness sake, I'm sure we have more interesting things to talk about than false teeth. I do. I bet no one can guess what happened to me the other day. All right, then. I'll tell you. Got one of those dirty phone calls. Oh, Dolly, how awful. Well, maybe it wasn't so awful. Maybe Dolly enjoyed it. Arlen! Oh, don't pretend to be so shocked, Gloria. I did enjoy it for a while until... Well, he did go a little too far. You mean you just hung on and let him keep talking? Well, at first I thought he was legitimate. He said he was a doctor. Dr. Venable, he said. Uh, Mrs. Saleem. Dolly, please, Mr. Severson. Did you report the call to the police? Why, no. Should I have? When did you say this happened? I, exactly. I mean, can you remember? Um, I guess it must have been the day before yesterday. Sometime in the afternoon. I certainly don't remember the time exactly. It wasn't that important. Uh, what did he say to you? I mean, uh, well, why did you think it was important? Well, first he asked for Robert, my late husband, you know. His name's still in the directory. And then he explained he was interviewing married women or women who've been married for survey. Hmm. What kind of questions did he ask? Yeah, doll, what kind of questions did he ask? Arlen, this is <laughs> funny. To start with, just ordinary questions like, how long I'd been married and how long we'd dated beforehand, just things like that. And then what? Then he began asking some very personal things. I mean, he wanted to know every little detail. Oh, good. So finally I asked him, is this necessary? And he said, oh, yes, it's a very important part of the survey. And you bought that? I explained that all the information I was giving him would be fed into a computer and be strictly anonymous. And then he told me if I'd answer all the rest of his questions, he'd put me on his paid subject list. He said persons who are particularly helpful to him get paid. <laughs> I'll bet. Arlen, will you stop saying that? So then you answered all the rest of his questions. Yes, um. Good God, Dolly, how could you? Perfectly strange man over the telephone or not. And they finally got some to him. Look, what are you? A dirty old man. And uh what did he say to that? There was a long silence. I thought I'd made him angry, and then suddenly he laughed. He had quite a pleasant laugh, and he said, Mrs. Celine, to meet you. Dolly, you, you didn't. Well, of course not. I told him that I wasn't going to answer any more questions either, not even for money. Then did you hang up on him? Finally. No. He thanked me and hung up himself. He thanked you? That was nice. He did have a pleasant life. He did. Maybe he was legitimate. What kind of speaking voice did he have? Can you describe it? Mm, deep. Kind of silky. Well, to put it plainly, he had a sexy voice. That's the only way to describe it. Oh, Dolly. I think, Mrs. Celine, you'd better tell all of this to the police. Mr. Sevenson. Note. 
You're a policeman, aren't you? And I've just told it all to you. Oh, what a dreadful woman. Uh, you mean Mrs. Celine? Just call me Dolly, you big, handsome policeman. Hey, you weren't jealous, were you? <laughs> oh, jealous of her? Imagine going on and on with that kind of telephone conversation. Honey, she's a widow without a man. She must be very lonely. Oh, she wasn't lonely tonight. You spent practically the entire evening with her. I wanted to find out all I could about the phone conversation. I'll bet. Come on, Brenda. What's gotten into you? You never act like this. Well, I've never had reason to before. Of course, I suppose I really shouldn't blame you. It can't be very exciting going to bed every night with an old sack of potatoes. Aha! So that's it. Oh, darling... I don't care how pregnant you get. You'll always look better to me than any voluptuous redhead. Newt. And you don't have to worry about Dolly Celine. She isn't my type, first of all, and I promise you I won't ever see or talk to her again. Hello? Oh. Yes, uh, what is it, Mrs. Celine? Dolly? That's the tobacco you chew. Weird ideas taking hold. Kids won't do what they're told. Who knows what this old world's coming to? But you keep your face to the wind. You don't quit on a friend. And beach nuts the tobacco you chew. Seems like a man's world just isn't the same anymore. But some things you can still trust, like beach nut chewing tobacco. Beach nut just keeps on getting better. Beach nut's a lot moister these days, with more taste, less stems. Today's beach nut, fresher, longer-lasting flavor. You ought to try it. Girls in bars, girls in pants, the man just don't stand a chance. But there's still ways to show them who's who. Treat your dogs with respect. You keep your traps oiled and checked. And beach nuts, the tobacco you chew. The Zero Hour continues after this. Uh, this is John Bartholomew Tucker. Your body does a lot of talking. It tells you you're hungry. It lets you know you need water. It may warn you a stroke is on the way. These are some of stroke's warning signs. Sudden temporary weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Temporary difficulty or loss of speech. Sudden temporary dimness or loss of vision, particularly in one eye. An episode of double vision, unexplained headaches, temporary dizziness or unsteadiness. If you notice one or more of these signs, see your doctor. This year, over 200,000 Americans will die of stroke. Don't let one of them be you. Ask your heart association for further information about stroke and how to prevent it. Helping you to feel better and live better longer is just one of the services of your heart association. Give to your heart fund. It turned out all Dolly Celine wanted was more attention. The woman was lonely, perfect prey for a telephone nut. She was also more frightened about the call than she acted at the party. She knew she had done a foolish thing, so again I referred her to the Wellesley Police Department, said a polite goodnight and hung up. My attention at the moment was in full demand upstairs in my own bedroom. 
The next week or so passed more or less serenely at home while my job provided all the excitement I wanted, and sometimes more than I asked for. When I got home tonight, I was really ready to put my feet up with a beer. But I didn't mind at all when I found company in the kitchen. It was Mercy Bird, and we hadn't seen much of her lately. Busy on a book, that's why. Nobody sees me when I'm writing. How's your cat, by the way? I've had to let Algernon shift for himself lately, so I hope he hasn't been giving mine hair a problem. Mine hair? Mine hair is taken to spending a lot of time across the street. It seems uh, Rudolph Wharton is a cat lover. <clears throat> you still don't like the man, I take it. How can you not like a man who looks like Cary Grant on The Late Show? Like they say, you can't judge a book. The man's no good. My mother died in his rest home, you know. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. The place is okay, isn't it? I mean, good doctors, good care. And bloody expensive. But I'm not saying anything against the doctors. It's Rudolph Wharton I blame. That doesn't seem fair. Well, you don't know the man like I do. You don't know what he did to his wife. What do you mean? What did he do to his wife? Well, she was a Mayhew, you know. There was Ernestine and her sister Eulalie, and their father, Clarence Mayhew, owned half this town in his day. You mean that's how Wharton acquired all his property? Exactly. By marrying Ernestine Mayhew. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's what happened to Ernestine Mayhew that I'm talking about. She was a gay, lively thing until she married that one. Then she changed. Changed? How? Well, she changed completely. She became quiet and somber. Quiet and somber as a grave. Outside the house, I just know it. Well, why don't you call the police? They won't believe me. I'm afraid they think I'm something of a pest. Please, Newt, you're only a few blocks away. I wouldn't call in the middle of the night if I weren't scared stiff. Will you come over? All right. Oh, thank you, Newt. I feel safer already. Whatever you do, if there's someone there, don't let him in. I won't, unless he's you. Maybe Dolly Celine had given up and gone to bed. But then I spied the shades of a colored TV, ghosts moving in a box through the living room window. I got out of my car and moved slowly up the walk, keeping a careful eye on the surrounding shrubbery. It was so dark I couldn't see where the doorbell was, so I knocked. Mrs. Celine? Mrs. Celine? Mrs. Celine. No. No. Please. Dolly. Dolly, I can't see you. Something moved on the floor. A sifting of shadows. I felt along the wall, found a switch and flicked it. The hall light came on and I saw her. Dolly Celine lying on the floor, dark splotches on her face and arms, bruises and blood, blood redder than her hair. She came out, the telephoner, 
he came. You are listening to Mutual's presentation of The Zero Hour. This is Gene King for your Better Business Bureau. If you're planning a vacation by air, you know it's a good money-saving idea to check with the airlines to see if you qualify for a special fare. You may be able to save yourself a sizable sum of money, but remember, you must comply exactly with the conditions or you'll be asked to pay the regular rate. Now, most airlines, for example, offer two youth fare plans. The cheapest is youth fare standby. In this, you'll be the last of the passengers called and may not get on the flight. Youth fare reserve, however, guarantees you a seat on a reserved flight, but it'll cost you more. Discount fares are also offered on long-distance travel, but remember there are conditions. For example, you may have to make reservations two weeks in advance, and for some, three months in advance. You must travel midweek only and return after seven to nine days. And no holiday or peak period traveling on this plan. A consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau. State Motor Oil and Beechnut Chewing Tobacco. This is the Zero Hour on Mutual Radio. You have been listening to The Zero Hour, a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System in association with Hollywood Radio Theater. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferranti and Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow and once again, rest your eyes and listen here to the Zero Hour. This is the Mutual Radio Network. Thank you for listening to and showing your support for my podcast. If you would like to receive notifications of when new episodes are posted, please subscribe to my channel. Subscriptions are 100% free and they really help me 
get an idea of how I'm doing. Well, hope you enjoyed, and until next time, stay safe, wish you well, and as always, peace.